I knew that the way our world is set up right now is not working for so many of us. And I wanted to be a part of that change. And I have been constantly looking for the way that that happened. And I very deeply believe in the power of individual relationships. And now I'm also believing in the power of thinking big. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Trailblazing in Color, the podcast that shines a spotlight on remarkable individuals who are driving positive change in the world of social impact and equity. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra, and today we've got a guest who's not just pushing boundaries, but breaking them down one meaningful conversation at a time. In this episode, we're talking to top LinkedIn voice and leading inclusivity expert, Nate Shalev. Nate, who identifies as transgender, autistic, and Jewish, is no stranger to the power of self-discovery and authenticity. They're here to share their journey of embracing vulnerability and challenging societal norms, reminding us that true change often starts with individual choices and actions. Join us as we unpack practical steps we can take towards building more inclusive cultures, why embracing intersectionality is vital for creating inclusive spaces, and the idea that bravery isn't just about monumental decisions. It's about making small, authentic choices every day. Get ready for an inspiring and insightful episode with Nate Shalev, reminding us that change starts with embracing our true selves one small moment at a time. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. I'm so happy that you're here, and I am so happy with our guests today and to share their wisdom with you. Let me tell you, though, before we get started, a little bit about today's Trailblazing guest. Nate Shalev is a speaker, author, and inclusivity expert who helps people embrace who they are. With clients ranging from Fortune 500s to small startups, Nate brings a powerful combination of engaging content, authenticity, and actionable solutions to create workplaces where businesses and people thrive. Their expertise has been highlighted in the Harvard Business Review, New York Times, Huffington Post, them.us, and more. Nate, I am so excited to have you here to share your wisdom and your insights. Hard fought, I know, <laughs> to get here today and, and where you're at on the journey. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is so fun to be here. <laughs> oh, good. I'm having fun already, and we haven't even gotten into it. So <laughs> let's go. Let's get started with just kind of basics. Where are you from? Tell us a little bit about your origin story. Yeah, my origin story. So I'm from Staten Island, and it is really hard for me to not talk about Staten Island without slipping into my Staten Island accent. So like, if we're going to talk about Staten Island, like I got to talk in my accent, and then it's really hard not to. We just got started, and like, here we are, and I don't know if you signed up for that, so I can like try to not do that. But I grew up in Staten Island. For folks unfamiliar, Staten Island is a borough of New York City. It is one of the few boroughs without like really active public transportation. It's one of the more conservative boroughs. You have to take a boat to get to places. But I used to really think about Staten Island also as like as a metaphor because you have to take a ferry and you cross Ellis Island. And so my parents have like a 
my dad is Jewish with like the Eastern immigrant, like Eastern European immigrant story. My mom is Italian with that story. So it also very much felt like like a true origin story that I very much felt like my roots were on on the Staten Island Ferry going back and forth. Yeah. Oh, I love the accent slippage. Rough. So great. But- I got to college and I was like, we can't have this accent anymore. <laughs> But the metaphor, too, of really growing up surrounded by your story or just connected to your story, and I'm sure it did start out that way, but I'm over time we start to connect to that more and see how we got shaped and what was the through line. So even kind of thinking through your own through line and some of the significant things you've you've went through or had to overcome in your life, how have what are some of the things that have shaped you and how did they lead you to the work you do today? Now, that's a big question, big two-parter there, but go wherever you want to go with that. Yeah, it's a big question, but like not a big answer because the answer is really just being me and like the way that that has happened would be like, I came out in high school, but I came out because like I liked a girl and like that was it. And I told my parents and that was a disaster. But then that was a huge thing to overcome. And then it was like a decade of conversations and navigating that with my family and and what that meant. And we're on the other side of that now and and all as well. But each of those moments were just me being who I was. It was understanding. It was going to a queer summer camp and like meeting queers and finding somebody who used they them pronouns and realizing that I wanted to use they them pronouns and starting to to do that and having that feel good. And so when I think about the, the things that I've overcome, it's really just moments of navigating who I am, how the world sees me and the different things that come with that and finding new ways to navigate that, finding new communities, finding communities that felt great, finding role models, not finding role models, navigating the way that people thought about it, you know, losing those people, finding new ones and all of that. So it's a, it is a big question. And also the answer is just like the the dailiness of life. Right. Mm Yeah. And self-discovery. And when we were talking earlier this week, we got to have a conversation, just kind of a coffee chat, get to know you more. And talking about this idea of self-connection, which I've been delving into more and more around how do we be connected more with ourselves so that we can bring that into spaces that we occupy in positive ways and not toxic ways, Mm -hmm. especially, but also this idea of So with self-connection, within this self-connection idea is first self-awareness, then self-acceptance. So self-awareness, I'm aware of what I'm bringing into space. I'm aware of of my communication style, my cultural competencies, things along those lines. And then self-acceptance, I know some things about myself that maybe I perceive as weaknesses, but I can, I can leverage that and I can start to explore. And maybe I don't perceive them as weaknesses, but other people do and, and self-diagnose that or diagnose that, put that on us. And then self-alignment, this connection to values and purpose and everything aligning to what it is you want to bring into the world. And we got to talk a little bit about this idea of self-acceptance because I think that's where people really get stuck. Mm-hmm. And what I've admired so much about your journey in in the small parts that I've seen, because I know there's so much more, I think that you've really role modeled for a lot of people what what eventual or what working towards self-acceptance looks like and putting more of that out into the world. Can you share a little bit about what that process has looked like or what some things what are some things you've unearthed in in that self-discovery? Yeah, it 
I, it's also a good question, right? What, what does it mean? But I, I'm thinking that throughout this journey, right, I didn't just wake up one day. I'm like, I am going to accept myself. And this is the <laughs> this is the deal. I, I am okay with who I am. I know that. And and we're going to move on. It was a lot of not being myself and understanding that that wasn't an option. And by not being myself, I wasn't living a full life. I was living a half life. I was living a quarter life. It was a miserable life. I like, you know, it very nearly killed me because it wasn't, I couldn't do it. And I could fight against myself as much as I wanted, but it was, it, it, it wasn't much of a life at all. And so through that, through knowing that I didn't have an option, I'm able to find ways to, to be, right? So from, a, from early on, even from when I started my career, just in general, I was always quiet. I always listened more than I spoke. And it took a while to understand that that, that that was a strength, that I could be quiet. I could have a quiet confidence. I could listen and use that listening as a strength because I'm able to gather the information. And then when I actually do speak, I realize that people listen to me a lot more than they listen to the person who always spoke person who was always the loudest in the room because when I spoke, people thought, thought that I had something to say. And so through moments like that and being able to understand that the way I am is the way I am and that there's there's not, and it's okay that somebody else is not like this. This is who I am and then I'm able to understand what's working. And if it was something that wasn't working for me, then I could change it. But I had to understand that it wasn't working for me, not because somebody was telling me that it was not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea that it's a process. You don't just wake up one day and say, I, I am here. I accept all of me. But it's it's an ongoing evolution and it it never stops or it shouldn't stop until until the day we die, until right. we're not here anymore. So even thinking about the short term, what's something that you've learned about yourself recently? Recently, I have learned that I have big dreams. And I did not know that, right? I, I, we're both part of the upside of this, this community of consultants and, and entrepreneurs and, and being in conversation with folks and having the permission to, to dream big is something I didn't know about myself. I knew that I wanted to impact people. I knew that the way our world is set up right now is not working for so many of us. And I wanted to be a part of that change. And I have been constantly looking for the way that that happened. And I very deeply believe in the power of individual relationships and now I'm also believing in the power of thinking big. And that's something that I did not know was was going to be part of how I thought about myself, but I'm so into it. That's so beautiful and inspiring. And it just calls forth this idea because you brought up the upside. And and we have to surround ourselves with community that's capable of of pushing us to think bigger to not sell ourselves short. And I think that's the power of definitely the upside and what Aaron Helper has created is I've in every coffee chat I've had, it's like charge more. No, you can, no question. Can you elevate to the places you want to go to the impact you want to make? No question in the mind of the person on the other side of the call. And so that just instills more and more self-belief and the fact that, Hey, I'm not alone. I'm not on this journey alone. And I, I, I will have some days where I'll cry and, and I, I have shoulders to lean on for that. So I agree wholeheartedly and we are the sum of the people that we surround ourselves with. So let's surround ourselves with big dreamers. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it seems like it's working because <laughs> so many of us have been watching you on LinkedIn me since joining the upside. And I know it's been a, a, a while that you've been doing the share, but just 
you, your impact is growing, your community of followers there is growing and your presence and, and your vulnerability is, I think, a big part of that. So what has that experience been like of starting to put more of yourself out there on LinkedIn specifically? Yeah. So I started my business a little over a year ago now. And then so I started posting on LinkedIn. I think it'll be less than a year of posting on LinkedIn itself. Um, but I I used to do spoken word poetry. And, and through that, I knew that there was a power in sharing our experiences. I knew that there was a real power in connecting to stories. And I knew that there was a power in doing that in a way that is like super clear like just really concise. And, and so being able, when I started posting on LinkedIn, my, my goal was to, to share my experiences in the clearest, most truthful way I could. And that was my whole focus. And I think that's what's, what's resonated in what I'm understanding is that there isn't a lot of, particularly representation for trans and autistic people. There just like isn't a ton of it. So being able to have that. A lot of the big thought leaders on LinkedIn are cis white men and the way that they provide advice and how to grow a business is not going to work for me. And I don't think it's going to work for a lot of other people. So having the alternative uh, conversations has been really helpful. And what you said before, people wanting to have the space to be able to talk about these things. I think inclusion work can feel really lonely because you are constantly, I don't know, fighting against other competing business needs or you're constantly, like people are constantly telling you that maybe it's not a real thing that you're experiencing. And so it can feel tough. And so being able to provide a space to tell people like you, this is, I'm, I'm acknowledging your experience and here's a way out of not a way out of it, but here are some like very actionable tools and tips that you can use to, to create better workplaces because our, our workplaces affect us way beyond work. We carry work with us all the time. And so to think that it's it's only it's only isolated to the work day just doesn't happen. When we have bad bosses, they stay with us for months. They affect our self-esteem. They affect our confidence. The way that, particularly in the U.S., we understand work is is very much touched to our value. So if we're not getting it there, we need to, we need to be able to, to do that work and, and have it be a better place for us to be. And you're right that this work can feel so lonely and it can feel so interconnected with your personhood mm-hmm. and your character and your identity. So it's it's not just they're attacking your idea or gaslighting your ability to make change and or your inability that is, but it's also attacking your character and your marginalized and oppressed identities. And it's so intertwined and it makes it exhausting and again, back to community, it's it's why we need a space, DEI practitioners, people in leadership roles, especially from historically underrepresented communities, because it can feel so lonely being in a system that was not designed with you in mind Mm -hmm. at all. (laughs) And so I want to, I feel like this is a great time to talk about your inclusion roundtables and the catalyst behind starting these conversations and how it's been going so far? I mean, it started because they needed, I felt like there needed to be a community that I would come into a company and do a speaking engagement and then there'd be no place for follow-up. Maybe the organizations had ERG groups, but maybe not and how well developed they were and also having a space outside of the company to truthfully talk about how the company was doing, I think was, was is always necessary. And I would also post on LinkedIn and there'd be great conversation in the comments, but no follow-up after. And so these roundtables were a way to, to just bring folks together. There's there's a model right through the upside of these sales roundtables. And I was like, we should do them with inclusion and be able to come together, talk about the problems that we're having, 
talk about the challenges we're facing and just be able to be in community with one another. And it's been really special. The The one that we had today was so global that it was like Switzerland and Canada and the UK. And, and it was super special to have all of these different folks working on similar tasks and dealing with these problems, being in the same room and try, trying to work through them together. Mm-hmm. And I was able to join this morning and we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how clear it is that people have been waiting for a space like this just for a forum to open up about their own experiences and also the experience of trying to make headway in an organization that is just talking talking the talk but not walking their walk and how defeatist, defeating that can be and to just have a landing place for those conversations. You could just tell people in the chat, in people coming off mute, because there are other spaces where you may get crickets or more so with other audiences. <laughs> Who is anyone here? Like, is I, all I see is cameras off and yeah. nobody's really saying anything, but that was not the case, which just goes to show people have been looking for a community around this and you've really created it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I realized today, so because today was, I don't know if it was because today was focused on neurodiversity or if that's just the nature of because of what I speak about, but I I, I don't know of a time where I've just been in the room with so many other autistic people. It was, it was very cool. So I think you're absolutely right that folks need a space for it, both in terms of career and also just personally to be able to, to have these conversations. Hey, if you are enjoying the show, be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com, where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazer circles, and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay, back to the show. And I think there's so much power too in in the nonprofit sector, in the community organizing sector, there's so much focus on coalition building and building your your diverse set of people and, and groups that are all working towards a single vision. And I think we're currently really missing the mark in terms of the corporate side to create these coalitions across organizations. What are you doing over here? What's going on over there? What's working? What's not? We're in research and development at scale in this work. I mean, it's it's been about two and a half years since June of 2020, and we've we've still got a long way to go. So I think people are feeling the the exhaustion of wanting to be further and not of thinking there was more money and more hope behind mm-hmm. growing this body of work faster. But now we're seeing a lot of the same roadblocks. And we wouldn't know that if we didn't have spaces right. cultivated to talk about that without our employers mm-hmm. looking over looking over our shoulders or listening in. Yeah. So thank you <laughs> for creating this space for us to do that. Yeah. I and mean, thank, thank you for being a part of it. Yeah. I'm on for the next one. I'm on the email list. I'm getting the invites. And so for those of you listening, we'll share in the show notes how to sign up for these inclusion roundtables and get connected to these conversations because they go deep and also wide somehow magically, (laughs) (laughs) which is so great. So as we're talking about just some of the things you're growing in your business, I know you offer several different workshops within organizations. One of them that really caught my eye was being brave when you don't want to be. And I know there's a story behind certainly how that 
workshop came to be. So how did you come to that? And maybe even what's what's a time that you've had to be brave when you didn't want to be? Yeah. I mean, the story behind it is I started posting on LinkedIn and it started resonating. And I had all of these people calling me brave all the time. And it made no sense to me because I'm not a brave person. I'm, I'm not going skydiving. I'm not running into burning buildings. Like it is not I don't like scary movies, right? Like, it's not me at all. I, I am not brave. And so I tried to figure out what they meant by it. And I started to understand that they meant that I had the courage and the confidence to, to, to be who I am and to, to, live, to live openly, to talk about it, and to do that and not know what the, consequ- the consequences were going to be. And so I created this workshop to be able to help others do the same, to be able to help folks be who they are, be, be confident in who they are, and have ways to be able to to talk about what they need, to ask for what they need, to know what they need, and then to have organizations be set up so they can get folks what they need without those repercussions. They can create the environments for people to be able to be who they are, ask for what they need, and then get what they need and, and feel and feel as good as they can doing that within, you know, an organizational context with all of its organizational stuff. So so that's the that that's the idea behind the workshop and, and the story behind it. And then a time when I did be brave recently and I didn't want to be, I recently had gender affirming top surgery a few months ago. And right before the surgery, I had all these, like all the transphobic voices from all of the places in my head. Like, you're going to regret this. Dysphoria is not real. Why are you permanently altering your body? Right. All of the, all of the stuff. And so I had to like quiet all those voices and be like, okay, if it was just me in the world, what am I going to do? And I knew that the surgery was the right move. And so I went ahead with it and it was the best decision I've ever made. I'm like more me. I'm more confident. I'm standing taller. Like my baseline of existence is so much more elevated because of this. But it's something that required that internal sense of, of confidence and bravery that I, that I have cultivated and, and knew and was able to, to listen to my gut and say, no, this is the right thing. All of these voices are not right. You need to go forward with what you want to do, even though it's scary and even though you don't necessarily like want to do it, but you don't, but you got to do it. So, mm-hmm. well, I love that frame that you shared. If it were just me in the world, if it were just me, there are no other voices, all of these voices that I've heard my entire life, but shedding that and just listening to my inner voice, my intuition, my gut how is your decision-making different? Well, you were able to quiet that and get to the root of really what you wanted and you're so much happier and lighter. and mm-hmm. Physically, and just <laughs> literally lighter. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and and it was the right decision, but it, it required getting quiet, mm-hmm. I'm sure, and getting still yep. and just turning all of that noise down. Yeah. And so turning – the noise down in organizations is is not easy, especially when when you are an individual contributor or even you're you're a leader who's trying to make inroads and t- trying to impact change. What are some of the ways that you assess or just interpret organizational readiness? And maybe that's not even the right question. But who are some of your favorite clients to work with because you know? Hey, this will at least go somewhere, or it's 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 they're ready to receive these messages. I think organizational readiness is a great term. The clients that I love working with and work the best with are the ones who are already bought into like diversity, equity, inclusion. They know that it's important. Uh, I don't need to convince them that it's important. They come to me and they're like, "We know that we need to do this. We just want to know how to do it better." 
And so those are the clients that we can actually build with, that there's potential there, that the leadership is on board. Because if the leadership isn't on board, it's it's not really going to go anywhere. And so then we can find out, right, if there's a if there's a budget, if they're ready to embed it into all the aspects of the organization, from marketing to operations, to HR and, and all of that. So being able to assess that, do they have the ERG groups, yeah. uh, employee resource groups, communities where employees can, can come together? Is there is there a set DI team, right? Is there set, is there a team that is working towards this? that they are also well-resourced, that it's not just one person, it's a full team, that they have the budget, that they have the buy-in, that there's accountability measures for everyone, not just that team, so the team can't get scapegoated when things don't work out, that everyone is accountable for it. So there are definitely like indicators that that can be really looked at and seen. I just see like a checklist, boom, 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 yes, no, yes, no, okay, well, you're ready or here's what you need to do to get ready <laughs> to bring this work in. Yeah. And how organizations come to me, if they come to me proactively and they're like, we want to do this better. We've done this. We, we can see you can fill this gap for us in this way, whether it's trans inclusion, neurodiversity, generally they want to do better. But if they come to me and they say, we tried to roll out pronouns and it didn't work and we got pushed back and now we need to clean up, right? Something like that. Then it's, then it's a, it's a, it's a different framework because we're, we're trying to People are already hesitant. And so now we have to speak to that first before we can build on something. And what I loved about when we were talking in our coffee chat was even in thinking about organizational readiness and your approach in coming into an organization and what you decide to deliver. What I loved at a certain point in our conversation, you said that showing up 100% authentically is not your goal, is not your goal in any space. There's layers to that. And while you do share a lot of yourself, your story, and are the expert of your experience, as you shared, I think people sometimes feel like, oh, if I'm not being 100% me, what's the point? Like, that's the goal. But you're saying that's actually not the goal. And I want to hear a little bit more or share with our listeners a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah. So it means that there are different spaces where you can feel more comfortable showing up with different parts of yourself. And you will know that. You will will know internally, right? Your body is going to send you signals. You're going to feel comfortable sharing. Like there are are ways that you'll know what what feels good for you. And for me, I am so I'm autistic, which means like in general conversation, I'm masking almost 100% of the time, which means that I'm hiding my autistic traits to be able to have a conversation with somebody who is neurotypical. And that means that it's exhausting. But I do it because I want to be productive in the world. <laughs> I want to speak to people. I want to build relationships. And I know and I know what that entails. And that entails me not being 100% me. It means that I am able to choose which parts feel okay to share and which parts don't. And that I'm able to get the rest and take care of myself in the other ways when I when I'm not able to show up, you know, 100% is me, but I'm but I'm able to choose that. And it's the same thing with any part of my identity, right? Any part of me that um, I get to choose. And to me, that's really empowering. It doesn't feel uh, stifling. It feels really empowering to me that I'm in charge. I know which parts I can share and which parts I can hide and, and that it feels like I'm still in in control and that I'm able to it's all me, right? I'm still me, even when I'm not necessarily being a hundred percent me. It's still me. I'm not. I'm not somebody else. And so, that piece is always felt. It, it it feels right because it's still me, and I'm able to choose which parts are showing up in what places. 
that's such a powerful reframe to see it as as your choice, as your autonomy around what you're choosing to share with others. It reminds me of I saw Karamo Brown from Queer Eye speak at an event at San Diego State University. I'm in San Diego. And he shared how he doesn't see it as coming out anymore. He sees it as letting people in. Mm -hmm. And that just connected so much to what you were saying is, how do I want to let these people in? How much of myself is it safe to share and and are they worthy of knowing exactly <laughs> Maybe worthy is not the right word but i like worthy worthy makes sense to me <laughs> it takes some trust building to really just dis- to really decide how deep you want to go and what they can hold mm-hmm. ca- carefully exactly and w- in a caring way um so that you are protecting yourself from harm yep. and from just bad environments and more emotional labor then you need to be giving. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. It's it's making me just rethink some of the ways I've been just having negative perspectives around another person being judgmental or or just assuming their perspectives. It's like, no, I can own how much I want to let people in. Right. There we go. Yeah. It just got me thinking. Lots of things. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. <laughs> well, you are a a big presence in this space now. You can receive that because <laughs> I I know. But you do have a voice and, and a lot of people are listening to it and it's making a big impact. I do want to hear who are some of the voices that you're listening to or, or just influenced by in this work right now? Yeah. I mean, on LinkedIn, Madison Butler is fantastic if you follow her. Uh, Ellie Middleton talks about autism a lot. Elizabeth Leba, who's the author of, of I'm, I'm Not Yelling, I don't know if that's how you say her last name, but Leba. Leba. Yeah. yeah. Those are some of the of the folks that I, I constantly follow. Like whenever they post something, I'm like, I am watching what you say. <laughs> uh-huh. When we surround ourselves, and we were talking about community, and I think we've got so much access to community now just in terms of the algorithms that we create for ourselves online. I was talking to my partner about LinkedIn the other day, and she spends a lot less time there than I do. And she was saying, I really don't see people having conversations or it's just, it just kind of feels like a lot of look at me posts. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you come over to my algorithm. The conversations are so good. I get lost. It's dangerous (laughs) how, how easy I get lost in these amazing discourses that are happening online with two people that have never talked outside of this thread. Yes. Absolutely. And I think LinkedIn is very different than other platforms. Maybe it'll change, but right now the algorithm is very broad in its reach. And so somebody will post something and it goes to the entire network. And so when somebody likes something, their their whole network is notified. And so you're able to have this ripple effect in a way that is really, really unique and can be really special in terms of the deep conversations and sometimes really dangerous where I'm like, how how did this conversation get to this circle? And then I block a whole bunch of people. <laughs> but sometimes that does happen. But regardless, it's, it, it's unique. And I think it's unique in the way that it is built right now, that it is, I think, much broader in, in its reach and the ability to have these conversations across industry and demographics and all that. It's pretty, it feels very special, the space that it is right now. And I hope it doesn't change, but who we have no control over that. So let's right. just embrace what we have access to now and, and the reach that we can create. 
And even thinking about some of the voices that you're listening to now, I also want to go back a little because it's trailblazing in color. Who trailblazed the path for you? Who have been some of your role models along this journey? Yeah, it's I. So I mentioned that right was I am very into poetry. So Mary Oliver, who's a poet, really talks a lot about paying attention in the importance of paying attention and the importance of and it's it's through her work, right? She doesn't like write like dissertations. It's just it's just the poetry that that showcases how powerful observing the small moments are and what that can bring for us. So Mary Oliver is one. Audrey Lord is one. Uh, Audrey and Rich. And then the friendship that Audrey and Rich and Audrey Lord had has, has always been like a really guiding force for me in the way that they were able to speak to one another and support one another and, and like along lines of difference, but also just like in the kind of activism advocacy world, it, it's felt like a very unique kind of friendship. And Audrey Lord lived on Staten Island. So that was Super cool to know. <laughs> we don't we don't have many of them. Many Spent Islanders. <laughs> Claims to fame. Exactly. Yeah. Cindy Crawford is my claim to fame from DeKalb, Illinois. Nice. Uh, Audrey Lord's a pretty good one for <laughs> for Staten Island, I yeah. would say. And now Nate Shalev. So. I mean we've got Pete I Davidson mean. too, so you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Love Pete Davidson. Okay. <laughs> uh just in thinking about well, because you mentioned a couple of authors, mm-hmm. let's talk about books. Yeah, I feel like you you are a voracious reader like me. But what are what are a few books that have changed the way that you think about people or the world? Yeah, it's 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 a good question, and I'm not going to be able to to think about all the books now. But because I'm working on my own book proposal now, I've been reading a lot of the types of books that I want to create and one of them is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert and it's all about like how to live creatively without kind of the pressure and fear of of being a creative and the way that like we we think about like we aren't geniuses and the way that folks like that that we have geniuses we aren't geniuses she kind of traces back this idea to talk to talk about that and that we're we're kind of beholden to this like magical form of creativity that we need to cultivate and honor and, and work within. But it's it, I really love it because there's this sense of a magical practicality and I, and I really enjoy that because I think that's what I feel often in my work is that it's practical, but we're trying to build relationships with people and that, yes, we're trying to change systems, but people make up the systems. And so we change the people, we can change the systems. And so that's just something that feels really special. Yeah. I haven't read that one, but it's a good reminder to check it out because you're not the first person who has recommended it as cool. just a new way of thinking about things, especially as entrepreneurs who are trying to also expand thought leadership and new models of thinking, new ways of dissecting these big problems. It's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves that can really take away from your ability to be creative and think more deeply this idea that we we have genius. We are not mm-hmm. geniuses. We, we all have genius. And I really like that framing too. Yeah, he frames it that it was actually in, in Greek literature or whatever. It was like a physical person, like a muse, right? That would like be there with you. And so it would be like you would be essentially like assigned to your genius. And anyway, it's great. So I, I do recommend it. Good to know that and there's so many layers to the genius and there's so mm-hmm. many things back to self-acceptance yeah. to to just quiet everyone else's voices around what that genius is and really seek it inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. 
I'm so excited about your upcoming book. I know you're in proposal mode. Yeah. But <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So everyone right, stay tuned. look out. <laughs> stay tuned. I know that's all we can say. Just stay tuned. I don't know. The, the creativity is coming, but right. give them time. <laughs> I want to hear really what you're what are you feeling hopeful for because there's so much to feel overwhelmed by and stressed about and anxious about but what what's giving you hope right now the conversations that I am having with people just just give me hope because there's so much noise right now and the news is always awful right but when it comes down to the conversations that I'm having with individuals by and large people want to do better and they they want to make change and they want to make an impact and they're open to learning and folks are open to understanding who they are in the world and what that means, right? What is your what is their unique context and their unique identities and what like where where are they and where are their gaps in understanding and how can we do better? And that feels really hopeful to me. And I think most people know that there 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 is some fear around taking action on it. There's some fear around, you know, embracing all these different parts and embracing the nuance and the complexities about, you know, our intersecting identities or making that actual change. And what happens if somebody doesn't like it? And what happens if there are negative contexts and consequences and all of that, which is true and happens. But most of the people that I'm speaking with, like we've, we've talked about today, are really invested. And that feels really hopeful to me. Yeah, because people being invested that's not just impacting them. It's impacting their families. It's impacting their relationships. It's impacting their teams at work. So I feel the same way whenever I hear someone really leaning into that work, that self-awareness work, that personal development work, because I, I know, we know the ripple effect that happens when someone decides to commit to being the best version of themselves and in the context of all of the interpersonal relationships that they have. Mm -hmm. So that's making me feel hopeful too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Well, as we start to to wind down, I want to have you share where people can find you, follow you. We'll do that in a second. Is there anything that you haven't shared or that's been on your mind recently about this work, about your journey that you think it would be important for our listeners to hear? No one is going to be able to tell you the exact way to do it. And, and there's never going to be a moment that's going to feel 100% great. Like there's not going to be the moment where it's going to be okay to talk about yourself. There's not going to be the moment where it's going to be okay to like call yourself an identity that you've been unsure about. You just have to do it. And, and you can look at the models and I'm trying to provide models for folks to be able to do that for themselves, but you can find the models. You can do as much research. You can, you know, try to do all the things, but there's, there's not going to be one moment that is going to feel you know like that like like the door will open for you. you you have to open the door for yourself and and just see what happens and get the support and figure out you know whatever that next step is so that's what I would say that if you're thinking about doing a thing whatever the thing is just just do it and the more that you do it the more comfortable that you're going to be with it and you're going to also know what is not okay and then that's also data for you to take with you and that is what bravery Really exactly. looks like. Yes. <laughs> we think <laughs> it's these big pivotal moments that define our entire life. No, it's these small moments of choice mm -hmm. when we choose to show up in the way that we want to show up or in the way that we've decided is 
is how we want to operate in this world and permission to change it, permission exactly. to iterate and iterate and experiment. And yeah, it's those moments of choice. I, I can't remember who said this quote. I'll try. I'll look it up. I'll share it in the show notes. But it's uh, it was character is who you are on the third and fourth tries. Mm. You mm-hmm. heard that one? I have. I love that. I don't know who it is either, but it it feels that. right. Yeah. Yeah. So permission to also f it up a few times yeah. and learn and do better and better, and then just keep doing that. Exactly. So. With that, where can people follow you, continue to engage with you, and learn how to do their own version of better over time? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, also emphasizing that it's everyone's own version, for sure. Like I share from my very unique context, and then I hope that everyone can apply it in in ways that make sense to them. LinkedIn is the place where I am most prominent right now. It's the place that I'm most consistent. Uh, Just Nate Shalev, my name. And I have a newsletter that folks can sign up at at rebelimpact.com, which is the name of my consultancy. And then these inclusion roundtables, which happen the first Friday of every month. Well, we will share all of that so you can listen or grab those links, find all of the ways to to connect and follow and be a part of these really important and really fun conversations. Right? Yes. I hope they're fun. So they're supposed many, to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> so many fascinating people. And really the more you expose yourself to more and more experiences of others it, it that by virtue of just listening in you'll gain a lot and you'll learn a lot about yourself and people and the human experience so i want to thank you Nate, for taking time on a friday evening <laughs> to have this conversation with me to really share more of you in this world because we're all really gaining a lot from it so thank you Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love these conversations so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast Bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Gene Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad.